0: Welcome back to another episode of What the HR, an award winning podcast. I'm Jesse Novi.
1: And I'm Mike Toole. The What the HR podcast explores how to build people centric businesses through modern practices and approaches. New episodes are released frequently, so don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any episodes.
0: Welcome back to another episode of What the HR. Today we're joined by Jody Thompson. Jody is the founding principal of Culture RX, headquartered in my hometown of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, Jody is an engaging domestic and international keynote presenter on the future workplace and has been featured on the covers of Business Week, Workforce Management Magazine, HR Magazine, HR Executive Magazine, as well as the New York Times, Time Magazine, USA Today, And on Good Morning America, CNBC, MSNBC, and CNN, Uh, this wonderful woman has quite uh, the accolades here. So um, I'm really excited to share this episode with you. She has also co-authored two best-selling books on the modern workplace and contemporary management principles. Uh, Her books are Why Work Sucks and How to Fix It, and Why Managing Sucks and How to Fix It. She is currently working. On her third book, which will be titled The Autonomy Economy. Jody has also worked with select organizations to bring them to a state of sustainable high performance. For the past 12 years, she has personally facilitated the change management communication and training process in organizations across multiple industries with a variety of roles, including retail, manufacturing, government, professional services, and education in both the private and public sector. Her clients consistently see increases in productivity, employee engagement, client satisfaction, and the ability to attract the best talent from all generations. So, in our podcast episode today, Mike and I are chatting with Jody on the results-only work environment, also known as ROW, and... This is a really meaty episode. Um, We talk all about obviously what results only work environment is, autonomy versus flexibility, why this model is more widely adapted um, outside of the US versus in the US, and um, science versus belief. And just to kind of name a a few uh, categories of topics that we cover today. So um, please enjoy this episode. We hope that you do as much as we did. As always, do us a huge favor, head out onto your favorite podcast platform, leave us both a rating and review. Your ratings and reviews really help to ensure that these podcast episodes are getting out to other HR professionals and business leaders. And thank you, as always, for being a listener of What the HR. We so appreciate you. Enjoy the
2: episode. Well, hi,
0: Jody. Welcome to the What the HR podcast.
2: I'm happy to be here. This is going to be a fun conversation today. I agree. I've been really
0: looking forward to this one. Um, for our listeners, Jody and I had a chance to have a pre-call building up to this podcast, and I think we already have maybe 45 to 60 minutes of time on this topic. I just enjoyed it so much, so I know our listeners are going to as well. But before we hop into the meat of it, Jody, can you share with our listeners a
2: little bit about yourself, and then I'll introduce our topic for the day? Yep, Absolutely. So, I am the author of Why Work Sucks and How to Fix It and Why Managing Sucks and How to Fix It. Now, notice I didn't say why managers suck. I said managing. Okay. (laughs) And I'm also the architect of the results only work environment, which has been um, adopted by organizations globally. It is an entirely new platform. And I think talking to HR today is really exciting for me because I know HR has a lot of challenges post-pandemic, and how they come up with the right formula for what motivates people, engages them. Like, what is the secret sauce? So, we have to keep that conversation going, and so let's do it.
0: Okay, awesome. So, we're going to be talking about the results-only work environment. Are we going to be using, are we going to be referencing that as an acronym at all today? You can say ROW. ROW? It's- okay, yeah. all right. So, we'll, we'll just throw that out there. So, if anyone, if anyone on the call says row today. The listeners know it's results only work environment. Yep. Um so share with our listeners if you will, Jody, on how you got into this space. You already, well, I think you mentioned if you did and I want you to mention you've got you did. You mentioned your books because we were mm-hmm. joking about managers, not managing or managing, not <laughs> managers. <laughs> right. Um so I know you've got two under your belt. You've got a third on the way. So just kind of talk about how you got into this work which led to your um authoring of these books?
2: Well, it's it's kind of an interesting story. Back in 2004, I was working at a Fortune 100 company. Anybody knows me in the Twin Cities, that would be best buy corporate. And at that time, there was a whole, you know, flurry of conversation around how can we innovate and, you know, how can we do things differently and whatnot. And I was part of the organizational change team. So we did large scale organizational change. And while I was doing that technical change solutions, somebody came to me from the work life area at Best Buy and said, you know, we need to figure out how to solve the work life balance conundrum. So because I was a a large scale change person, I was coming together with her to look at how we can look at the entire system and figure out what it is people really want what we learned and this might be a little shocking is that people don't want flexibility okay what they really want is autonomy so what we were trying to figure out is how can we create a system where people are 100% autonomous meaning they're self-directed and independent no matter what job they are and 100% accountable and i think what's going to be listen- interesting to your listeners is where the innovation happened there was between managers and people that do the work. So we started experimenting with that, where managers didn't have any control over our time. Like, they didn't give us permission to go to the dentist, they didn't say anything about when you come in. And we started to uncover a whole bunch of orthodoxies and and things people say that keep the workplace, even today, stuck in the 20th century. So as we figured that out and experimented with teams, we started to learn about what is the true secret behind motivation, engagement, um, all those things that as human resources professionals, we're tasked with, like the work culture. We're tasked tasked with that and, and then how to make it better for people. Oftentimes, we make the work culture better by adding in things like ice cream Fridays, Now I know that sounds silly, but it is on a company's website. As a reason you should work for them because you get ice cream on Fridays. So what we're doing is we're band-aiding a bigger problem. So I'm excited today to just kind of talk about where were we pre-pandemics, kind of what happened, and now we're on the other side. And are we really changing? Are we really shepherding in change that's actually going to transform? how we do work differentiate ourselves move the company forward and kind of get out of that 20th century managing time and location piece how do we step back from that and create something totally different
0: i love that um i think you teed that up really nicely um so you already kind of embedded in that comment a little bit about belief systems so maybe let's dive into the belief system about work and why you know, some people believe that the most productive or the most creative work occurs in the office around teammates.
2: So this is this is a fun topic. But first of all, I want to say, as long as somebody else, the organisa- organization is controlling some of your time, you will never achieve work-life balance, period. Because you're not able to drive the bus yourself. Somebody else is telling you, I'm driving it for you right now, and you need to just sit in the seat and do what I tell you to do. You're not going to achieve that. In our personal and professional lives, there's a lot going on for people. And social science tells us that when we have autonomy and control over our time, psychological stress no dies. People are better in their families, communities, all of that. So, the belief system, I'm glad you brought up, you know, the whole, we're going to collaborate better for in the office, or, you know, people that are face to face build better relationships, or people that are at home are not really working. People in the office are more dedicated. These are all sorts of beliefs we have that are just swirling around. One thing to listen to when you're thinking about these things is if these words come out of your mouth, I believe. Oftentimes, that's not backed up by science. It's just a belief we have, and our beliefs. And I, I see Mike just kind of nodding his head because we're we're seeing each other here. But it's that belief that drives our behavior. So if I believe the three of us here on the podcast today are going to have a better relationship if we all meet at a coffee shop or go into an office two days a week. That's what we're going to drive towards. We're gonna we're gonna make sure that happens because we believe that's the best way to do it. And it's interesting because we were doing the same thing before the pandemic. We were still directing where people worked. What's been happening is everybody shifted to at home. We were doing fine there. And then we opened the office back up and, whoa, whoa, why do we have an office? Why do we have an office? Well, that's so people can come in and do work. They look at it as work is a place you go, not something you do. So with those beliefs, we're going to figure out ways to, by the end of 2025, mark my words, everybody's going to be back in the office. Now, (laughs) if you dig into that, you're going to see all the beliefs under that that make us feel like if people are doing their time, then something must be happening. And we can see them doing their time if they're in the office. Now, for those of you out there, think about society. Where's another place where people do time? What is it? Prison. Yes, prison (laughs) for 53 points. So we don't look at it that way, but really we're in a construct, a box, that we try to think outside of. What we have to do is we have to sweep the box out of the way. And sit with nothing and go, what is it that we really want to happen? Well, we want results for the organization. We want people to feel motivated. We want them to be more productive. We want them to feel loyal to us. But everything we put in place um, diminishes those things. So if I say, just give, give an example, We believe people should be in the office at least two days a week. Okay, Tuesdays and Thursdays, everybody. So now I come to my manager and go, I know it's Tuesday and Thursday, but can I switch that up this week and do Monday and Thursday? And said, oh, well, you could, but you know, that's when we collaborate and everybody's together and we have our lunch and we have our ice cream. And that's what we're trying to build community. And the person's going, but that's kind of like, I'm not going to get my work done, right? I'm not going to be able to collaborate like I need to. And work with people how I need to to actually get the results we're talking about. So it's kind of like saying Monday is hammer day and Tuesday is screwdriver day, and Wednesday is right, and you're going, like, but I need a screwdriver on Monday. Nope, that's hammer day. That kind of thinking is what's I feel um, arresting us from moving forward. So as an HR community. How can we stop for a moment and listen to those beliefs in our head? Okay, we think we want people in three days a week. Why do I believe that that's the right thing? Oh, I believe people collaborate better. Do they? Have I done any surveys? Do I know any research behind that? Where does that come from? And really, a lot of it comes from, and I I believe in talking to a lot of HR people, it's kind of fear on one hand. On the other hand, it's, well, the leadership wants this. They're telling us, even though we're trying to be, move forward, leadership is saying to us, yeah, but, you know, we have this real estate and I need to see people working. See them working. So We're kind of caught in the middle of that. And um, it's interesting for me to hear some of those challenges and struggles that HR departments are going through today to try to really take. What we learned during the pandemic and keep moving forward instead of sliding right back in to nailing people down. The four day work week is not innovation. The four day work week is not moving forward. It's just taking five days of control and pushing it over to four days of control with longer hours. That's all it is. It's not anything new or different, or it's not solving the issues we're having today with engagement. Boy, that yeah, was seems a long, thing.
1: Yeah, it seems like we just kind of repackage ideas. I think the back to office sometimes is looked at as a solution for some people that don't have a solution as well, right? You're sitting mm-hmm. there and you're wondering why maybe results are down and it's, maybe it's just nobody's in the office. Uh, Mike, what I think is interesting as well is if we went back five years, and we are all in the office five days a week. And they and all of a sudden, they say, hey, we're going to move to only Tuesdays and Thursdays in the office. People mm-hmm. would love, people would have been all over that. That would have been right. great. So then I'm, I'm wondering, psychologically, is it because of that drastic change during the pandemic that moved everybody to, like, we get kind of comfortable with what we know. Mm-hmm. So do you know what I'm saying? There's like, in today's world, Tuesday and th- Thursday sounds miserable to a lot of us. Five yep. years ago, it would have been amazing. Like, we would have been totally fine coming in Tuesday and Thursday. People wouldn't mm-hmm. even have asked, hey, can I, can I change that to Monday, Thursday? They would have been right. just so thrilled that they have two days in the office and three <laughs> days at home. So, you know, that's,
2: go,
1: that's ahead. Like go ahead. That's like
2: breadcrumbs, right? Like, we got a few breadcrumbs, so we better be quiet and enjoy it because this is as good as it's going to get, right? Sure. I love what you're saying, Mike, because when we all sort of got out of the office during the pandemic, We had a sense of control over our time and we were getting our work done. And I think what makes people really upset is when you say, we're going to get people back to work. Really? We were already working, right? Yeah. And so we're still trying to solve all those problems from before, like are people connecting and are we getting community and, you know, all the things we were doing before, we're trying to retrofit those back in. Mm -hmm. People are rejecting it because you're right. They got a big taste of something else and they were also getting their job done. So the question in their head is, well, if we're doing our work and we're talking to each other and we're getting it done, why, why are you prescribing days in the office? Why? Because that's where we collaborate. That's where we get better communication. You know, all of those beliefs, right? Instead of saying, you know what, are we really clear about the work and the outcomes of the work? let's let's watch that. I like to say this manage the work, not the people. Mm-hmm. People can manage themselves if they're held accountable to the real work. They can manage themselves.
1: I think something and, that supports the accountability I'm sorry to interrupt that supports no, go, the accountability and I do want to jump into kind of like your definition of a results based workforce um, but something that I think supports the accountability, theory um probably a fact is when we first moved to um uh, flex work or actually all remote right the pandemic yet you saw productivity go through the roof and everybody everybody was saying this is amazing we're doing more at home but then everybody started to put in all these systems slowly throughout the pandemic that mm-hmm. started to track time and track those pro- right. right like they it's almost like they started to like hover over their employees Mm -hmm. and then you saw that productivity go down and it puts us now in a point where now they're saying okay now we need to go back to the office because it's not working so i i think it's really interesting i think it supports everything that you're saying Mm -hmm. right i I hope it does at least i think what i hear what you're saying is right the the accountability the autonomy allow Mm -hmm. us to just focus on our work without Mm -hmm. you trying to control our time
2: correct time plus presence is the old currency Results is the new currency of work. Measuring that. I think what happened um, over time is that people, they were getting their work done. But then the idea that even if they're getting their work done, I'm not seeing it, I'm uncomfortable. Maybe I'm not clear enough. Maybe they're not doing what I really want them to. Are they talking to each other? So we revert back to what we think looks like work. Okay, misery looks like work. Schlugging in when it's snowing looks like work. Sitting at my cube looks like work. Going to 50 million meetings that are getting nowhere looks like work. That all looks like work. So then I feel I can get past that all everybody work from home thing, which to me in my belief system was ridiculous. You can give me a million stats about how much better it is, and I'm still gonna want to get them back in the office because I believe in my own belief system, right? So I think people are. Oh, I like how you said that a whole bunch of things were put in place to track people like moving your mouse and mouse clicks. Right. Yep. All and, that stuff. Right. And people are like, it's like Big Brother. It's like the book 1984. You're trying to figure out ways to watch me because you can't see me in person when I was in the office. You can't see me sitting in meetings and all of that. So people are rejecting the whole idea of why do we need those barriers or bumpers as sometimes we call them in a place why do we need that really sit with that why do we need to control that piece what we really need to be controlling is watching or watching is the results of the work that's what our eyes need to be looking at which means that a manager and I don't even like that word anymore we call them results coaches instead of wondering where you know where's mike today or where's jess today it's Does Mike understand the results he has achieve? Does Jess, do they need me for anything? Is there anything I can help them with? Wow, it looks like Mike has some questions for me. I'm going to get on with Mike on Zoom and make sure that happens. I'm going to help him move himself along. Instead of, yes, it's okay if you work from home on Friday. That's what we have to break. Mm -hmm. Uh, Autonomy is kind of like pregnancy. You can't sort of be pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not, right? And autonomy is one of those pure ideas of, if you're telling me I have to come in the office two days a week, but I I have autonomy on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, that's not autonomy. You're still locking me into three days and two in the office. We're not talking about results. We're talking about time and location. I just, my, my big hope is that we can start, um, Really examining that instead of just like, oh, these people, they don't like it, they can go somewhere else. No. Why don't we look at the work culture and keep the good people? Yeah. Which everybody amen. Yeah, I am <laughs> for that. And you know what? Everybody can be good. <laughs> I mean, we've seen people that were like at the bottom of the heap, right? When you talk about that, the bell curve and everything, like outpace everybody else when they had autonomy. Because mm-hmm. what was holding them back from being productive and engaged was in fact time press presence equals resolves. That's what was getting in the way. Yeah. You
0: know, on that topic too, Jody, I, I think you you may have a little bit of information regarding um kind of science and kind of stress levels and somatic reactions. And I, I think yep. that, that ties in that I, I think that ties in really well to the comment that you just shared because not only would I argue that people do better when they're given autonomy, but when people don't feel like they're in this like stress pressure cooker okay. where, you know, like, oh, my gosh, I have to be in at 730 to like fill up my coffee and eat my breakfast because my manager expects me to actually be performing work at eight, not arrive at eight and you know, i'm I'm in a debt. I, I I personally have had situations so I can speak from example where like my manager's desk was right behind mine. And so what I had on my screen was visible at all yeah. times. There was the stress of like, oh, well, if I oh my wanted to like check my personal email while I'm eating lunch or something, like I can't do that. I might be criticized or questioned of like why I'm checking my personal email. While I'm taking a lunch break, things like that is just to give our listeners a couple of examples. So, um, can you do? I I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but I believe you have some like science and um, experience with like cortisol reactions and stress, you know, stress reactions in those types of work environments. And if you do,
2: can you share them with our listeners? By the way, Jess, that was very painful to listen to not being able to check your personal email during lunch. That just that just like makes me want to hurl. So anyway, um, let's talk about some of the studies. First, I want to talk about Rob Karasek. In 1979, he did a lot of, uh, he's a social scientist, a lot of research on work demands and work control, just to make it simple. So what he learned was that when you have high demands, a lot of work, big workload, and low control over how you move about that work to get it done, you are increasing psychological stress in people. The goal is to move to autonomy so that you can meet the demands. So all of a sudden, it doesn't look like I have so much work I can't get it done. Because I have control, I don't do things that waste time. I don't drive in rush traffic. I... Own all my time so I get clear about it. So there's a lot of what he's saying in that we're kind of going the opposite direction, right? We're we're actually still pinning people down, which increases psychological stress. Now, I think your your listeners were like, you know, the idea of what is the real proof? So there was a six year longitudinal study done on the results only work environment. And it was the University of Minnesota. And um social scientists from other colleges. And what they learned is people like workers in a results-only work environment, their cortisol, saliva swaps, drops when they get control over their time. Now, the thing that I thought which blew my mind is that they did the same thing with the people's families. So they took swipes of the children's mouths and the, a partner, whoever's in the house, And all of their cortisol levels dropped as well. So what does that say, you know, about health and well-being? That was what we were looking to measure. Like work-family stress, work-family conflict, all that stuff, actually reduced people's psychological stress when the employee had control over their time. So the science is backing this idea But getting to a culture of autonomy and accountability is not easy because we all have a big, heavy backpack of beliefs. And that's what we do. We help people. We guide them through that stuck piece they're in and help them replace those belief systems with something else. And we get rid of that chatter in in the environment around, where's Bob? Or I wish I could leave early every day. Or, you know, how come Jess gets to work five days a week from home? You know she's not working. That kind of language, we get rid of it. It's called sludge, and we eradicate it. So it's a, it's not easy. So, I, you know, my heart goes out to all the HR departments. This isn't easy work. It's hard work. Because you might convince one leader that this is the right thing to do. And all the other 12 of them say, that's the craziest thing I ever heard of. Get those people back in the office. Yeah. Right? It's a really hard road. So this, well, like, yeah. like I said, science back, backs this up.
1: And it better work in about 20 minutes. Otherwise, people <laughs> want to bail on it, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I have a question. Uh, so you mentioned the cortisol levels when they controlled their time. Can you... Give me your definition of controlling your time from like a workforce perspective. Like, what does that mean for an employee to control their
2: time? (laughs) What that means is, well, you're self-directed and independent, number one. It means that I don't ask permission to work in a different way than Monday through Friday, eight to five in an office. If I'm asking permission with that, I'm not autonomous. Because once I ask permission, then what starts happening is All the language with all the other people is like, why does that person get to do that? Why don't I get to do that? So if you give one person autonomy, it doesn't work, right? Because it's not a systemic change. But autonomy is, in every area of my life, personal professional, I am in the driver's seat. I decide when I use the office as a tool. I decide, you know, how many, when I work. Might be morning and evening and maybe Saturday morning, whenever I decide that. Now you might think, oh my goodness, if everybody does that, it'll be complete chaos. But the it's called unintended consequences of adaptive change. The exact opposite thing happens. People communicate better, they collaborate better. They're because their life is better now, they want to do good work. And they're not gonna stand around and say, Oh, I don't know what I'm supposed to do because now the manager's watching the work, not you. The thing that other thing that happens, interestingly enough, is teams get stronger. So, all of these people are all over the map, you know, they're never getting to getting together, I might say, but we're looking at it in the wrong way. What brings people together is the focus on results because guess what? No results, no job. So, we all want to perform and we want to get ourselves, especially the next generation, behind a purpose. And if I know what the purpose is of the organization and I have the autonomy to drive my own self in all areas of my life, it is more powerful than anything you can do in a workplace. Very powerful. Autonomy coupled with accountability. And what's happening, Mike, is that we're trying to give people autonomy, but the managers know deep in their souls, people aren't clear about the results. That's right. why we're trying to get them back in.
1: So on that note, um, when we talk about results, like, are you suggesting, and I hope you are, like when you look at, let's, let's say manufacturing plant, mm-hmm. right? We have employees that are punching in. They got to be there at 7 a.m. Then they punch out at four, whatever it may be. And the the company, what they expect, every company has this expectation of how much that person should produce in any given day or any given hour, probably down to the minute at this point. So when you talk about results-based, is it fair to think that it's possible that these employees if they're given the right results, hey, Jesse, you have to make a hundred widgets today. <laughs> you and if you're done with that in an hour, you're done. Like you yeah, like, is that is that possible? Is uh, because I know that's hard for some people because if Jesse's that good, well, she could make four hundred widgets a day, and now we're getting even more out of out of Jesse. Like wh- talk to me about what your vision of the <laughs> results based workforce is.
2: Okay, so first of all, being results-based can be any job. We've done this in direct care nursing facilities, construction workers, call centers, a manufacturing line. So let's say we got a manufacturing line and one of you is putting bolts, one is putting screws and I'm doing something else. There's a lot of pieces that fit together to get to the end. Mm -hmm. So when the people... Are crystal clear about what they need to produce, then they start to work together in a way. And if they're going to have some freedom if they get there, right? They start to work to better together and look at different things in the processes that are going to streamline it. For example, one manufacturing line we worked with, their production rate went up 30%. Now, here's another interesting thing. HR, take a big deep breath on this one. Let's say we're all in an assembly line and i can I have to have my fifteen minute break every four hours. Why does it have to be exactly fifteen at that time? Why can't I take five minutes here and two minutes there and three minutes there? Oh, my brother's calling. Hold on, everybody. Wonder if I could control that piece myself with in concert with others around me. Wonder if if I was on my way to the plant and I was one of the people putting on screws, and I'm sitting behind a train because a train's going by and I can't get there, why can't I call Jess and say, Jess, I'm going to be there about 10 after, and um, can you help me with X, Y, Z until I get there? No problem, whatever. This is teams working together because they know the prize is for all of them. Now, Mm -hmm. quality has to be maintained. So whatever people are doing in order to increase production or decide what the right number is, that can be discussed as the outcome. And now the people start to figure out how they're going to get their quality, right? And time. So I think that what we do is we, we are under that belief that if you're going to have a manufacturing line, it has to be totally regimented and the supervisor standing over you and clocks punching all over the place. If we give people ownership of that work, That's where things are going to start to change. Now, the Department of Labor says, if you're an hourly worker, you're going to get overtime, right? If you work over the time, people still need to track their time. That's just the Department of Labor guideline. Mm -hmm. Nothing we can do about that. You still can track your time. You still can count the hours, but they don't necessarily need to be perfectly, um, what am I trying to say, Uh, sequenced in an eight-hour block. There might be a better way to look at it. So I'm going to give the listeners one quick example. I was working with a call center. And the call center was in all the different provinces of Canada. So we got the East Coast and the West Coast. And prior to the results-only work environment, they each had their regional times that they were taking calls. I mean, the East Coast is a certain time, the West Coast is a certain time, middle is a certain time. So the inventory was being parsed out by the manager. So they decided when the peak inventory was, and then they told the people, you know, when to pick up the inventory. What happened with results-only work environment is they owned the inventory. The manager didn't own it anymore. So the people had to figure out how at any given time people were going to pick up the people coming into the call center. Now, this is the magic. So we're doing our workshops all the way across Canada. We get over to the West Coast. And I'm going through it. And this guy at toward the end goes, why do we even work in time zones? And I that was the magic right there. Because now instead of having this team, middle team, east coast, west coast, the whole call center is one. They they made that themselves. So now they can all see all the inventory coming in. And if I'm up at four in the morning. And I feel like grabbing some inventory, I do it, which, by the way, increases customer satisfaction, worker motivation, ownership of the work, all those things that engage people. So I think what we have to do is step back and say, "Why do I believe people can't do this? Why do I believe I can't give more control over time? by we're working with a construction, some construction people on an island. And anytime, Anything needed to be done, like a pothole needed to be filled, they would go all the way into the manager's office and say, what do you want me to do next? Hmm. So I asked them, when you're out there, you know, on the island, do you know what needs to get done next? And they said, well, yeah. I said, wonder if I took your manager and I sent them far, far away to Siberia for one month. Could you keep the island running? resounding sure we could that's ownership what's not ownership is marching all the way across the island to say can i fill that pothole it's a very uh, it's a mindset shift in how we think about managers supporting people instead of giving them permission it's different mm-hmm. a little scary too so. yes. Yeah. I've-
1: Go ahead, Jess.
0: I I was gonna deviate a little bit. Were you gonna do a follow up to?
1: Um, the only thing I I think it could probably I I guess the before I forget what I was gonna say I guess before we mm-hmm. change subjects is <laughs> it it seems like you, you just mentioned shipping the manager off to Siberia. <laughs> We've done a lot of interviews, and it seems like a lot of the ideas we hear and all of the problems that are within companies comes down to the managers. Like it, yeah. it's unbelievable to me how many times it, it kind of falls on their shoulders. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes we've talked about the fact that they're not trained very well. They're not compensated correctly, right. all of these things. And I, I guess I was just curious, like your view on that, that manager role Um, based on like doing this results oriented workplace, like how do they fit into that model? And like, Mm -hmm. I, I know they're critical to it, but like, how have you seen them change the way that they behave so that they can support the results oriented workplace?
2: Okay. So managers are squeezed in between leadership, right? And the people, and they're the closest to the people. Management, well, that's why I write the book. It's not it's managing that sucks, right? It's is how I think about managing. So historically, managing people, the default is time and location. I give permission about where they work and when they work all the time. What gets in the way then is are people clear about results? And like you said, Mike, not every manager's good at managing results. So then you might want to ask yourself, well, why are they a manager then? Because aren't people working to get results? Here's what happens to managers. Because the relationship between them and their people that work for them starts to, over time, change. This isn't an abrupt flip of a switch. They realize that what was really weighing heavily on their hearts was they're not really knowing what people are supposed to be doing. And they start leaning on activities versus outcomes. If I can get everybody under, people under my control, that helps me not feel so uncomfortable. Now, if I'm working with a lot of different managers, because results-only work environment is a system for an organization. It's not just a team-building event. Mm -hmm. When other managers are all in this together, that's the magic for them because now they help each other. Now they want to stay where they are, or maybe not. Maybe they don't want to be a manager anymore. But what they do is they start to help each other because the most important thing that they can do is help people who are stuck trying to get to the results. They need to be a sounding board, somebody that helps, is there for them when they're you know, having communication problems with another team. That's the job of the, of the contemporary society manager.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny too, because you hear so many people say, Hey, a good employee is not always a good manager, but I would say that based on what you just said, the reason they were good at employees is they knew how to get results. So I, I'm not sure that they're bad at being a manager. It's that going into the management role now becomes a different role. Whereas if, if they, right, you move them into a manager role. That way, to your point, if an employee or anybody needs help getting results, they do know exactly what to do because they've done it.
2: Right. And you know what? They feel like start feeling like babysitters. Now, let me say this, though. Let's say I'm that manager who knows exactly how to do things. I'm actually going to be more controlling, Mm -hmm. right? Because I want everybody to do it like I think it should be done instead of, let's say Jess comes to me and says... You know, I've been having, you know, trouble with this, you know, bolt, whatever it is. And I'm not, I, I, I have a, tr- I'm having trouble with this part. A manager that's good at the job will just tell her how to do it. A real coach will say, tell me more about what you're trying to do. And understand where actually the piece that you're not being competent with, why it's stuck in your brain and in what you do. Instead of just telling you how to do it, then it's like Mm -hmm. you go from instead of competency, complacency. A results coach asks a lot of questions. It's guided discovery. Your HR people know this. It's asking a number of questions until the employee figures it out in their own brain. Oh, I get what I was doing wrong now. Thank you. So it's a different kind of role. It's, It's guiding people it's supporting people, it's helping them in their professional lives get the work done in the most efficient and effective way through guided discovery as much as you can. Yeah. Yeah. Good example.
0: So I know we got uh, to kind of wrap things up here, but I've got a couple of wrap up questions, a few, three, we'll we'll end with three. (laughs) Um, So my, my first one is you gave a Canada example there um, earlier, Jody. And when you and I had our prep conversation, we had talked a little bit about, I think, how a lot of your your clients right now tend to be more outside of the U.S. Yes. than in the U.S., which is not surprising to me. So I would love for you to share with our listeners. And and we do have a global listener base, but um, our uh, data does indicate that the bulk of our listeners are in the U.S. Yes. So. For, for our U.S. listeners, shed a little bit of light on why, in your experience, you receive so much resistance to this mm-hmm. system um, and
2: receive less resistance outside of the, the U.S. with your client. It's so interesting, isn't it? Um, here's what we've learned. This is not good or bad. It's just a cultural thing. Let's take Canada. They're very curious. So instead of saying that'll never work, they say, well, tell me more about that. And, oh, that's really interesting. And, oh, I see how that could help. Like they're more willing to open up to an idea that's foreign and kind of curb jumping. The other thing I've learned about other organizations outside of the United States, the UK, for example, they are, um, I'm going to say, less controlling and want to be more status quo breaking they want their people to feel engaged and healthy and those kind of things and so they take their belief system which is stopping that and they say we got to we got to change that they're just more willing um, i think that sometimes we we and i'm just going global we, we get arrogant About what we think everything should be like, and then it kind of trickles down. And HR is going, "Well, I can't do anything because I'm being told, I'm being you know hammered to do it a certain way." The United States is just more. We already we already know what we're doing. Go somewhere else. That's kind of what it's like. But I would love to work with some HR departments in the U.S. That'd be so awesome. I mean, Australia, um, South Africa, the UK, I mean, they're very curious and they, they show, they show their curiosity through taking the next next step, which is courage. Yeah. We do a lot of pilots because when you're coming in with something like this results only, and you're going to change a system, they want to see how it works in their not only their country culture sort of thing, but the work culture and what they're trying to create. So we do a lot of pilots to help leaders see what it's going to look like in their culture. Yeah. I, I would love to do more work in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that um,
0: characteristic of a uh, curiosity not only bodes well for people in this situation, but just in life in general. So Mm -hmm. um, I guess a a little plug for all of us U.S. folks listening um, to embrace curiosity more in their life professionally and personally.
2: Um, And then I think HR wants, wants to make change. Yeah. I think they're from up above. That's what I think. Yeah. My, my experience is
0: very much that Jody and that, you know, but I, I also do believe that HR, especially, you know, um, in the last couple of decades, as we've become more of a extension of the business and the business has brought really brought us to the table, Mm -hmm. we are really looked at as consultants. And so in my experience, Our approach has always been to educate and inform, but not be the decision maker, you know, help the business to understand the risks and the benefits, but ultimately allow the business to make the decision. So um, it does get to be frustrating and challenging when even when you do spend all that time highlighting all of the benefits and you're right in employee engagement surveys you know and it's not just articles that we're reading or experiences that we've had but we're actually taking data from people that sit in the business that say they want this they're hungry for it they believe yeah. in it there's the data to support that um and then the second question i wanted to ask is just because we've covered so much great information today but one of the goals mike and i always have with the podcast is that our listeners walk away with like one or two things that they can kind of put into action. So for our listeners that are in HR listening and are like, oh, I love this. I, you know, I would love to do something like this. I haven't really brought this forward to the business, or maybe they're not in a leadership role in HR, but they'd like to bring it up to maybe a leader in HR to see if they could get some momentum. What would be, you know, one or two recommendations that you would have for them?
2: So, um. I don't know quite how we would do this, but we have two things on our website right now for HR. We have an HR guide. So the things you're talking about, Jesse, what can I do right now? How can I approach my leaders? What are the things I need to bring with me? That would be a really good thing for people to download. We also have an autonomy guide. What does it really look like? What does autonomy look like? And how can I start doing things to help people get there? Now, of course, we're always there to guide. This isn't easy. But I think what it will do is it'll give HR some some meat to hang on, a little meat to hang on right now. And I've loved how you said, you guys look up the research, right? You're consultants to the business. And so um, they'll just get a few more ideas from those two downloads to help them. They're all smart people, right? It'll help them go, oh, I see what I could start doing. So if there's a way, um, Jesse and Mike, that we can, you know, give them the links to that or a QR code, um, just let me know. I'm happy to do that for your listeners.
1: Yeah, we can put it in the show notes. I'm curious, really quick, um, when you talk about those pilots that you do, mm-hmm. like for somebody listening, could they? I mean, they could do an autonomy pilot today, right, with their team of four that they manage, right? Like, <laughs> can, like how? Is that simply communicating that change that, hey, we're going to now focus on results and like, because that's kind of what I'm, if I was listening to this and I'm like, okay, I want to, I want to do this, but I want to start small. You mentioned pilots, like, can you give a 30 second minute, right? Like, this is how you do that.
2: Okay. So first of all, I'm going to say quickly, you can't just tell people to be autonomous. There's too much baggage. So, I might tell my four people, but then one of them's going to go, you know, I know I'm autonomous, but I just wanted to let you know that I'm going to be here and there and everywhere on Friday. You know, they just can't let go of it because they're not, they haven't changed their belief system. Right. Now, that sounds kind of like, oh boy, what are we going to do? Again, the HR guy is going to help. What I would tell people to start doing today, HR folks, is to start to listen. For those things that are holding people into time and location. Like somebody saying, you know, I worked 50 hours last week. I, you know, what days do I have to come in the office? Listen to people saying things like, well, Jessie's getting more than me because she gets to work from home more days than me. Just kind of all that stuff that sounds off culture to what they're trying to build. People that have autonomy don't do that. They don't ask those questions. They don't say stuff about people and how they're spending their time. So just start listening. That's like the first step. One other thing in communication I'm gonna give your listeners. try to go for a month without using ASAP. <laughs> so that's gonna be that's like it it's gonna be like withdrawal, okay? When you want something from somebody, expect yourself and your team to say when you need it, what you need and when you need it exactly three o'clock on Tuesday. ASAP is like it it's the worst thing you can do in a culture. Nobody knows when they're getting anything ever. okay <laughs> so just take that take that out of your lingo. no more ASAP when you need it, why you need it when you need it those kind of things what it is and then this is cool then people can start negotiating. I can't get it to Tuesday at three. How about Wednesday at 10? And all of a sudden, everybody knows when they're getting things. It's really amazing. It's really amazing.
1: Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's also from an employee standpoint. Whoever's doing that task, it is kind of nice to know they need it by this time. As soon as possible is like, eh, I don't
2: know minutes, if I need to
1: literally drop everything and do it right now. Or, you well, know, that person that. says ASAP every single day. So,
2: yeah. And Mike, <laughs> if it's a VP... Ooh, their ASAP is more important, right? Right, yeah. Than an admin's or somebody else. Mm-hmm. So we have to, like, take the hierarchy from vertical to horizontal. We all need to, to be respectful of each other's time. Say what you need and when you need it. That's respect. ASAP isn't. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, this is <laughs> been so... This has been so great, Jody. Um, Let's close things out by um, you sharing with our listeners where they can learn more about
2: you, where they can find your books, where they can connect with you, all the, all the things. Yep. So if you go to the website, gorowe.com, G-O-R-O-W-E.com, um, the books are out there. Con- contacting Me is out there. More about the results-only work environment. If they want to just go ahead and go look for that HR guide, there's um, an HR page that has the guide and the autonomy guide, HR guide and the autonomy guide. I'm also happy to give it to you guys to put in the show notes. GoRoll.com. That's where you find me and the team. Perfect.
1: Yep. And I'm assuming you're on social media, LinkedIn.
2: Yes, LinkedIn. Yep. Awesome. Uh, Facebook, TikTok, all of it. (laughs) That's the world. I love it.
1: Yeah, we'll link everything in the show notes uh, as much as we can. Otherwise, you can go to the website, goro.com. But Jody, thanks so much again for for being here. Great conversation. And uh, as we mentioned in the beginning, we might have to do a part two um, as all of this continues to evolve. So thanks a lot.
2: Well, that was great talking with you guys today. And um, I'm just really dedicated to helping where I can and helping HR continue to move the organizations forward. Great. great. Thank, Thank you. you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of What the HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening through now. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and share with your network, your boss, or your CEO. Help us get this podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when done well. Also, if you have any questions for show topics or people you'd like us to interview, please email Mike and I at podcast at tcsherm.org. That's podcast at tcsshrm.org. If you want to find out more about Twin City Sherm or our upcoming events, please visit our website at tcsherm.org. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, Please use code WHATTHEHR at checkout to receive $20 off your membership. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.